0: God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Timothy, your name was written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Does 2 Timothy 1, 8-9 teach Calvinism? It says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So here we see that God, before the ages began, gave us purpose and grace in Christ Jesus. So as I've talked about in my videos about Ephesians one, where we see references to God choosing us in Christ, I, I would just encourage and say that I think an appropriate way to approach texts like this is to first look at this idea of in Christ Jesus. And let's figure out first what did Paul mean by that? What does it mean? How did he intend to use it? In Christ is, is just this central thing that Paul repeats consistently throughout uh, his epistles. And when he speaks about the sort of sovereignty, predestination, God choosing us, uh, electing us sort of ideas, it's always paired with and connected to this idea of in Christ. So God's choice, God's predestination, election, these are all, whatever they are, however they happen, whomever they happen for, I think what we can know clearly is that they all are found, they happen in Christ Jesus. So I think before just jumping to conclusions about texts like this, I think we first need to establish what is the in Christ Jesus aspect of that, And how does that relate to all this? And what does that tell us then about what it means that God has purpose and grace for us, which he gave us before the ages began? So the question is, first, what does it mean to be in Christ? I would argue that it means a union, a connection to him. And I think there's very little debate about this among either non-Calvinist or Calvinist scholars. To be in Christ means that you have been grafted Into him as uh, branches are grafted into a vine. There has been this identification where you have become one with Christ. You in Christ and Christ in you. Uh, So I think it's about relationship. There's a connection in our organic connection to Jesus. The word in, in the original Greek, has within it this connotation of nearness, closeness. It has to do with your position in relation to something else. So I think it's it's right, though maybe not the perfect and only way to think about it, but to think about Christ as this this spiritual location where there's, there's this this kingdom of light that Christ is all in all of this kingdom. And so to be in Christ would mean that you've come out of darkness, God has transferred you out of one place, at one location spiritually, and now you're inside this one. And so Ephesians one, will talk about how every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us, he's blessed us with those in Christ. So I think, again, this is helpful because if you think about every every blessing that God has to give that is related to heaven, related to salvation, every spiritual blessing related to God's redemption of us, he's put that in Christ. He's placed that in a specific location. And so in order to experience any of the things, any of the spiritual blessings that God has for us, it's conditioned on being in this place where he has placed every spiritual blessing. So that's just one way that I personally find helpful to think about it. And I think it's also perfectly fine to again think about it as a, uh, a vine and branch sort of way where to be in Christ means like Romans 11, you've been grafted, you've been grafted into Christ. This is actually a process that uh, those with vineyards would do. They would take um, branches and they'd be able to actually fuse them with the vine so that all then uh, the life-giving nourishment would then flow to that branch. Now that branch independent from that vine has nothing, right? The only way that vine can have anything, any spiritual blessing again, is in as much as he's connected to uh, the vine. The branch, I can't. I think I might've mixed those up. The branch has to be connected to the vine to get any Ephesians 1, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because again, those are in Christ. But all of that just to say that I think to be in Christ, Second Timothy 1, 8 through 9, This this grace and purpose that God gives us it's, he says he gave us in Christ Jesus. So that is why I think we have to be careful with these passages. The appropriate thing I would argue to do when approaching passages like this, where there's some sort of reference to predestination, election, that includes it being in Christ, I just think it's appropriate to emphasize and focus on that in Christ aspect. And first, let's establish what does that mean? What do we think that means? And how does that play into what Paul's trying to communicate here? So 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9, he called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So A, God has purpose and grace, I would argue, for everyone. I don't think there's anything in here to suggest that God only has purpose and grace for a specific category of people, the unconditionally elect. God has purpose and grace for everyone. And I'll try to demonstrate that here in a minute um, with a few passages. So whether we attain or walk in that purpose and grace is dependent on whether we come to be in Christ or not. So I would say with the definition of in Christ that I approach this with, When I look at this, I don't see this as troubling, and I certainly don't see it as indicating that God pre-selected before the foundation of the world who would be saved or not. The purpose and grace that 2 Timothy 1 references is dependent on being in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, including God's purpose and grace for us. So this isn't saying that only certain select people have purpose and grace from God. It's just to say there is purpose and grace that God has for everybody. God has created every person in his image for a purpose, not the pur- purpose to be vessels of wrath, to burn in hell forever. Another another discussion, but I think that's problematic. Um, but God has purpose and grace for everybody. The qualifier, though, is whether you're in Christ or not. So he's placed that purpose and grace in Christ as if to say that, this, this is where you will find your ultimate purpose. This is where you will be able to, to walk and be who you were ultimately created to be. That is in connection to my son. That is where you find your ultimate identity and purpose. That is where you become and are who you were ultimately made to be. That's where you reflect the full image of God in your life. God's purpose and grace for us is found in connection with Jesus and only there. So those are the two questions. Does this passage show, does it demonstrate that God only has purpose and grace for a select number of people? And does it show that if God does have purpose and grace for us planned before the ages began, does that therefore necessitate that we will in fact walk in that purpose and grace and perfectly fulfill it in other words does God since he has purpose and grace for us then is there anything in the Bible that would suggest that he then causes us to have really no other option but to fulfill uh, that purpose that he has for us so let's just look at a couple of verses first one will be Luke 1941 through44 which says and when he when Jesus drew near and saw the city he wept over it saying, Would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you, uh, they will not leave one stone upon another. So Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem who had hardened their hearts, disbelieved and rejected uh, him. And he's saying, would that you, even you, he's weeping, I wish, he's saying, I wish you would have known the things that make for your peace. So this to me indicates that Jesus knew there was purpose for them. There there was this purpose that they would have peace. And don't we see this all throughout Israel's history where God promises blessing or curses? He says, do this and here's the purpose I have for you. Here's the grace that will be available to you. He has that planned. He, 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 you know, just go read Deuteronomy and you can see that God has planned purpose and grace for Israel, but that doesn't mean he's going to necessarily then decisively cause them to do what he wants in order for that purpose and grace to be fulfilled. Whether or not that purpose and grace is fulfilled is contingent upon their response to his word and what he says. Ultimately, it comes down to whether they believe or disbelieve. And so they had disbelieved, and therefore Jesus was speaking to them about the purpose of God, basically this peace that they were missing out on. Not because God predetermined it, but because they had chosen to disbelieve. Then we have Luke 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. Now often I have longed to gather your children as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. So... Jesus had purpose for these chicks to gather them under his wing, but they missed out on that purpose and grace available to them. Why? Well, because they weren't willing to come to him. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take the prize. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that is perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I am beating the air. No, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Disqualified from what? Well, the purpose and grace, I think you could say that God has the the rewards. I think some would take this i think wrongly as paul saying that he feared of feared losing his salvation or something like that i think that has nothing to do with what he's talking about i think he's saying that he had to stay in shape so that his mind his spirit were were fit to continue walking in these purposes that god had for him and it is possible to become you know caught up with other things uh, and, and, you know, become disqualified from being able to be useful. You know, Paul talks to Timothy about the one who rids himself of certain things will be a, a vessel useful for the master or something like that. I'll try to pull up the reference because I don't know it off the top of my head. I'll try to pull it up off on screen. But basically, there's this idea that God does. There, you can see, I think, this is him describing some of those those purposes that God has. God wants us to be useful for him. But don't even, you know, Christians, we as Christians who are already in Christ, aren't there days where you would say that you don't <laughs> you don't walk in the, the purpose that God probably had for you that day? Um, or would you say that God's purpose for you has been perfectly fulfilled every day, your entire life, or at least your Christian life? I think we would all say, well, no. Yes, God does have purposes and grace for me in Christ. He does have plans for how he wants to, what he wants to do with my life, but that doesn't necessitate that I will in fact be caused uh, by him to walk that out perfectly. Um, sometimes, some days I might fulfill that purpose. Some days I might miss out on it. And some days I might be qualified, fit in the right state of mind, walking in faith, and so that I am uh, useful to the master. Other days I might be caught up with different things, fears, anxieties, selfishness, and I miss out and I do not fulfill the purpose uh, that God wanted me to walk in as a child of light. So all that to say, I think that God having purpose and grace for us, as is said in in, uh, 2 Timothy 1, eight through nine, does not necessitate that therefore these are things that we will be determined and, and caused without exception to fulfill. Lastly, Romans eleven seventeen through 24 says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now in this nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches neither will he spare you note then the kindness and severity of God's severity toward those who have fallen kindness but God's kindness to you provided provided you continue in his kindness in his kindness so here we have this tree and branch analogy this olive tree branch analogy which sounds quite familiar, I'd say. So a representation, a picture of in Christ, the Gentiles, Paul's talking about had been grafted into this olive tree. And it was the root of that tree that supported them. They didn't support the root. So everything that was within the tree, every spiritual blessing came, comes, conditioned upon that we are grafted into him. So consider, he says, the kindness and severity of God Severity toward those who have fallen, kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. So God has planned kindness, purposes of kindness, purposes of usefulness, provided that we continue in his kindness. So he says, for if you are cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and get grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So there is purpose within the olive tree. There's purpose and grace that God has, I would argue, for every individual person who has ever lived, purpose and grace. But to receive, to walk in, to have and experience that purpose and grace, you have to be connected to the olive tree. You have to be grafted in, continuing in God's kindness by faith, and then God's purpose and grace can and will be fulfilled in you. His kindness will will be, uh, will be follow you all the days of your life and, and so on. And so Israel, obviously we have examples, Israel refused to go into the promised land at times, thereby I think demonstrating that God can have purposes for you, plan for you, and say, this is what will happen if you obey. And if you do not obey, you can miss out on that. And he might have to take you around for a while and then bring you back in and, and kind of try again. Uh, it's not as if if we miss out one time, he's done and it's over. I, I think what's was the psalm that one of the, like the most repeated, uh, the psalm that just literally repeats itself over and over. His love endures forever, his love endures forever, repeated like 20 times or something in the psalm. It's all the psalm says pretty much. And so um, all that say, I think this there's not, I don't see limited opportunities. I think if, you know, it's like he says, if Israel, hardened Israel who had been hardened, cut off, separated from Christ, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted back in to that purpose and grace that God has for them. Uh, there's also the example of um, Moses and Aaron who were refused entry into the promised land. Uh, i.e. they missed the purposes of God. So I think the Bible is chock full of examples of people missing out or rejecting God's purpose and grace. Acquiring God's purpose and grace is continually conditioned on faith and trust in God. Those who believe God and become connected to Christ as their head enter into the plans and purposes of God for them. Uh, Ephesians 2 10 says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so again this is just another way of saying these good works that God does have prepared for everybody they are found in Christ Jesus only in as much as Christ is your head will these um purposes uh, be fulfilled in your life and I hope this doesn't in some way drive people to like self-doubt and, and overly self analyze and say oh no well am I you know am I in Christ am I fulfilling my purpose I just think this is this is simple and, and this is all comes back to um, you know just simple faith and trust and so just a, a side note to say don't get don't let this like stir up unnecessary anxiety and self-focus and, and, and like self-analyzation self-analy- of, well, maybe I'm missing out on God's purposes. Just, I think that's that anxiety itself will drive you away even further from those purposes. It's just, it's a simple trust and rest in something. God is already actively involved speaking and working. And it's just about um, opening up our ears and, and kind of agreeing with, with what he's doing. Uh, So, question, to kind of wrap this up here, does the fact that God has prepared good works for us to walk in mean that we will necessarily always walk in them? Don't we all, in our weaknesses and times of unbelief, miss out on good works that we could have walked in if we had believed? Why does Paul in the New Testament always exhort believers to walk in God's purposes, walk in the Spirit, put on Christ, set your minds on things above, not things of the earth, etc., if Why does Paul exhort believers to do this if God's uh, having purposes for us necessitates that those purposes will always be fulfilled? So, conclusion, does 2 Timothy 1 teach that since God gave us purpose and grace in Christ before the ages began, um, does that prove that we will necessarily attain and walk in that purpose and grace? I think, no, it doesn't. 2 Timothy 1 tells us that God does have purpose and grace for us, but whether we achieve or walk in it is contingent on us remaining in Christ the vine, continuing in his kindness uh, uh, from day to day even. I'm not even talking about like going in and out of salvation or something like that. I'm just talking about being being connected to God in a way where we are able to be useful or not. And I think we all probably not only day to day, but even in the midst of the day, moment by moment might... (laughs) move in and out of this at times. Finally, I would say the most important key to understanding 2 Timothy comes down to how you interpret what you think about in Christ. And Ephesians one says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us in Christ. And so I believe, um, again, I would just say the majority of commentators and scholars, I've not come across any who would interpret in Christ to mean anything other or something different than a connection to him. And the word, I think, heavily implies your position, your nearness to him, that you were by, you're in, your existence is in him, um, and and you have been united to him so that all that is his has become yours idea. And so I think when you understand that, I think it makes more sense of of how these things work. You know, if you think about Christ being preeminent in all things, he is the first. He's not He's not simply an accessory, a, a, a one step in the salvation plan of God, but He is all things, right? Christ is all in all, and I feel that Calvinism kind of makes Him not all in all, but sort of just a secondary step, like a, a a yes, an important part, but be sure He's just a part of it. You've got first, you've got this somehow mysterious choice of the Father, which to me sounds more like being chosen in the Father, not chosen in Christ or chosen to eventually get in him. So there's a disconnect from Jesus somehow. We're separated from him. We're not connected to the vine. That somehow there's this some of the life-giving nourishment of that vine is being applied to us. And I think that's just misunderstanding. I would I would argue how Paul Paul's point what he means when he references this whole in him and in Christ idea. I think he sees all things as being contained in him and everything that we have from the father is contingent on us being in the son. Um, the I think the only reason you'd have to see it differently is again, approaching the Bible with assumptions about things like total depravity and an inability to believe and things like that. Like that's going to be the thing that's going to hold you up from being like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. But I've kind of dealt with that in a couple of videos in the past that if you haven't watched, I've I've been talking about this idea of faith, and so um, I'll link to some of those in the video description, but I would just say that I do believe that those are wrong, uh, incorrect assumptions that are brought into these things that should not, it's unnecessary that they would... Um, that that at least would cause you to dis- disagree, I think, with the things I'm I'm um, trying to propose in, in this video. So that's my thoughts on 2 Timothy, um, that God has, yes, he has purpose and grace for us, plans in Christ, but I think in Christ is the key. I think that's ultimately the key to most of these things. I think that's where a lot of the confusion of uh, around predestination and, and being chosen comes. And I just think, Hopefully, uh, this can be an encouragement that we should all put a little bit more uh, of an appropriate amount of emphasis and focus on that and understand, unpack what does it mean to be in Christ before we then go and try to determine what it means that we were chosen in Him. Thank you for listening to the Great Light Studios podcast. To find more information and resources or to watch our films, you can find links in the show notes of this episode. And also, would you consider leaving a five-star review on this podcast? Positive reviews go a long way in helping to get this content pushed out to more people.